Good afternoon, everybody. This is John Barrows with Make It Happen Monday. Hopefully you all had a fantastic weekend. I most certainly did because my Red Sox just won the World Series, much to my guests' uh, dismay here. Um, but I'm actually looking forward to this conversation, regardless of the competition between the Dodgers and the Red Sox. So, John, how's it going today, man? How you been? <laughs> It, it's going amazing. I, I'm super excited to be here with you today. And by the way, congrats to your Red Sox. They 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 had an amazing year and they they closed it out well. Uh, but but John, I'm here excited to be with you because I think we're here to help other people grow. That's our purpose on the planet. And you and I are going to have a conversation about how the listeners can become better, smarter, faster, whatever their dreams are. And most of them are in and around the sales process. And we're gonna teach and preach and live and learn for the next 30 minutes together. So I, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. You know, I, th I think we did a little prep call for this, talk about, uh, you know, very specific things. I kind of had a, ment a ment mindset of, all right, let's talk about these, but then it, it evolved uh, to, to a lot of career advice because as we talked, you know, this audience is very hungry for sales tips and ideas, but also career, like where, where am I going in my career? And I get a lot of questions from reps, you know, after I do my trainings to say, Hey John, you know, I love what you said there. Could you help me understand? Like, here's my situation. How, how can I get better or how, you know, what, what, what should I be looking at? And I think that's where a lot of this conversation uh, is going to go because, you know, you have a pretty interesting just like the rest of us, entree into sales. And sales is, you know, a very uneducated profession. I don't say the people in it are uneducated. I just think because there's such a lack of education, formal education for sales in the universities, this is the default profession. And so do you want to walk everybody through kind of your, your uh, journey into sales? Because I think that's going to lead to a lot of other interesting things that, uh, that we can chime into and hopefully get the, some value to the audience for. You bet. So, so I got involved in sales accidentally, if you will. Uh, and I actually resisted being in sales. My dad was the number one Lincoln Mercury guy in the country back in the 50s and the 60s. He had the first Subaru dealership in California. And I grew up on a car lot. My dad was a car salesman. And mm -hmm. that's the last thing in the world I ever wanted to be was in car sales. I grew up watching the, uh, the Gemini Mercury uh, Apollo space programs I wanted to be an astronaut. My uncle helped invent radar and microwave at MIT in the 40s. And I wanted to be an entrepreneur like him in technology. So when I graduated uh, high school, I bought a computer in 1978. It was an Apple IIe, cost me $1,600. I'm sorry, $3,600, which Whoa. back in the days, like almost 20 grand a day. I don't know. I say, that's uh, <laughs> a <laughs> so lot, of, lot of dollars. And yeah. And I worked my way uh, through getting a computer science degree by doing a variety of jobs. And one of the jobs that I did happened to be working in a computer store, and I actually started to sell. Back then, computers were 55% margin. There were no computers on desktops in Southern California corporations. I sold the first 300,000 computers to Southern California corporations, making 70 grand a year, working part-time, living at home, going to college, and that was a lot of money in 1981, but I didn't want to be in sales. So when I graduated my degree, I got a job in at an aerospace company, Hughes Space and Communications. And after two years in aerospace, I said, I'm not an aerospace guy. And I got a job at a startup in Westboro. You know where Westboro is? I know. Yeah, no, well, yeah. Yeah, yeah Westboro is kind of west of you. You just don't want to go too far to Worcester. No, no. Once you cross that line, like the kind of anything outside of 495 here in Boston is is pretty much might as well be a whole other country. Yeah. 
So, no, I'm just kidding. I, I love rural Massachusetts. I think Massachusetts is one of the best states in the union. But I got a job at a startup, and they basically put me in sales. Now, in 1970, I'm sorry, 1987, 88, there was no outlook. There was no sales force. There was no CRM. There was no sales and market automation programs. Right. I looked for tools that enabled me to build relationships manage my pipeline, do nurture marketing, and close deals, I couldn't find it. They gave me leads, which yep. were basically piece of paper with phone numbers of IT people at large corporations. And I had to basically pick up the phone, cold call them, make notes on whatever piece of paper that I can find. This is my CRM. And, and I said, there's got to be a better way. I found a plug-and-do symphony called ACT, which manages contacts and tasks. For individual, I found uh, Snap, which was a pipeline management tool. I found SailMaker, which was a, a calling program. But what I wanted to do is blend contacts, email, calendar, and sales on market automation. I couldn't find it. So at uh, 29 years old, I was too young and dumb to know any better. I quit my job and I started a company called Goldmine to solve that problem. And I did it because of one thing I learned in aerospace. So I used to walk around because I, I had an admin job. I was basically managing 15,000 computers at this plant site. And I met this old guy. And all he used to say to me was, shoulda, coulda, woulda, shoulda, coulda, woulda. And I said to myself, shoulda, coulda, woulda, what? And he says, I could have built TRW or Litton or Rocketdyne. All of these people used to work here. And they all left and started these companies. And I said to myself, I'm 28 years old. I could get a job anywhere now is the time to take that chance. I'm single. I don't own a home. And if you're listening to this today, you got to take chances in life. And ultimately, it's those series of jobs that lead you up to those moments that are going to be the magic mix that give you the tools to do what you do. I could not have started Goldmine without have, having worked in a computer store, without having where I learned about how people sold technology to corporations, to work at Hughes, where I learned how they adopted technology, and then worked at Bandon to learn how they made technology and sold it uh, through the channel. All of these things gave me the capability to, to when the universe knocked on my door, I not only opened the door and walked through it, but I was prepared. Love it. And I, I mean, I think that's a, I think that's where a lot of people are stuck, right? You know, I think uh, Gary Vaynerchuk was the one who said, like he spent a whole bunch of time in nursing homes and, you know, asked all these people who are kind of at the end of their life, like, what, tell me about what you, what you regret. And it was almost, it, it, there was never, nobody ever regretted doing something. They always regretted not doing something, right? It was like, oh, I wish I didn't do that thing that I, that I thought I was wanted to do and I failed at it. It was almost always, I, I wish I did that thing that I didn't do. And I think that's what I live by, which is, you know, regrets. I don't want to actually be looking back and saying, oh, man, I wish I had taken that chance. Or, But the question here is risk, aver risk aversion, right? Because I think everybody has a different tolerance uh, threshold for risk. I always say to people, I'm not like the ultimate risk taker in the sense that if you wanted me to give up everything that I'm doing right now, live on my parents in my parents' basement and eat ramen noodles for the next year and a half to try to figure out an idea, that's not me, right? I need some sort of stability, but I'm a calculated risk taker in the sense that I, the thing that I think I've been blessed with the most is, is the ability to kind of size up an opportunity. And with a very minimal amount of data, I can look at it and say, yep, that's a good idea. And I should do that. Or no, nah, it's probably a not a good idea. I, I should avoid it. 
So, but, and then there's other people from a risk standpoint that need all the pieces in place before they would even make a jump, right? They need that extra, they need that job already lined up for them before they leave their first one. Cause that, even that gap, even though they have confidence in themselves. So let me ask you, John, how do you evaluate risk? Like, how do you look at it? And for you to take a quote unquote risk, what would, what would the pieces need to be in play for you to make that jump? Well, John, I, I think that's one of the things I've been gifted at is being able to read things, to sense things, to see things. And ultimately, it's a synthesis of an infinite number of inputs that enable you to then read and analyze and make a decision. But rarely does it come down to um, analyzing in, in a piece of paper like that. I basically trust my gut, take the inputs that I have, and I make a decision. And it's really, that's how we did Goldmine was Back in the day, there was email, there was contacts, there was calendar, and there was uh, spreadsheets for pipeline, but there wasn't anything that brought all that together. And because I struggled with that, I had a personal problem with managing my sales process. I then was able to read what the need was, see that there was no solution, and then say, yeah, I could build this, we could do this. But the reality is I know an idea what I was getting myself into, right? Because, okay, so you could take DBase and go write a program that does all this stuff that Goldmine did, which Goldmine was Outlook and Salesforce combined before either existed, mm -hmm. but how do you sell that, right? Yeah. And so uh, I was living in an apartment with my co-founder. We had maybe $3,000 total in the bank and we had to go sell enough software to survive. And so there's only so many hours a day that you could actually sell. And the best way to sell is to get other people to sell for you. And I was able to convince people that had a trusted relationship with my prospect, the SMB customers, those were the Novell resellers, the technology reseller for them to use Goldmine. And then they started to recommend it and resell it because people sell what they know and they know what they use. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't have ever been in that position to A, have built the program if I didn't sense the need and then made the decision to take the risk. But more importantly, it's the sum of my jobs that taught me that it's easier to get somebody to sell it for you than for you to sell it yourself, especially if you want to scale. And that's how we got to our first $100,000 a year in revenue is by cold calling 500 of the top Novell resellers in the country and getting them to use it and therefore resell it to their base of thousands of customers and we never took a dime of venture and eventually grew it to about $100 million in revenue uh, when we sold it, when I retired when I was 40. But one of the key aspects of the journey that I think is important for your listeners is we started with Novell resellers because there was no Microsoft network operating system back in the day. Novell was it. Microsoft doesn't innovate, they iterate, they wait for somebody else to build the market, then they come in with something good enough. They build NT server, SQL server, and exchange server, and we switched to requiring that for Goldmine Enterprise and then rode the Microsoft partners and their customer base to that $100 million in revenue. If we didn't see the changes happening, switching from DOS to Windows, switching from desktop to mobile, switching from um, local databases, client server, switching from Novell to Microsoft, we wouldn't have ever got there. And ultimately, it's like, it's like surfing. You got to get a feel of the wave and you just yeah. sort of like go with it. And sometimes you can't be taught those things. You got to just sort of trust your gut. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the gut definitely has a lot to it. I, you know, the goal is to try to marry up that that science and the art, right? The art is the gut and your feel. And some people have a much better gut than others. And others, yeah. you know, need a little bit more of the analytics. But without the combination, you end up getting stuck with no decisions at all or you overanalyze decisions and you don't make them. And I think that's – I'd rather make a decision and fail on it yeah. than, than not make a decision because I overthought it. And, and you're gonna learn. You're gonna learn more, John. Right? I mean, I, I look at Edison. He failed ten thousand times and invented the light bulb. Right. And I think that's you know one of my things. Like, so when I was fired from, so I, I worked at Thrive Networks. My first startup was outsourced IT services, and we sold it to Staples. And um, you know, I have these twelve personal guidelines to success, and and one of them used to be always make sure you have a plan B, right? But because that was that was added after I got fired from Staples because I woke up and I didn't have a job and I had never even thought about a plan B. So I was kind of in a panic mode. But I look back on it. And I think that was, you know, always have a plan B is actually not that great because, in my opinion, your plan B takes away from your plan A. Yeah. So I changed it to and this is how I recommend everybody take a look at risks these days, which is ask yourself this. Ask yourself this question every time you're about to make a decision. And it could be as micro as, you know, going over your prospect's head, right? Because you're not at power and how do you get to their boss, right? Uh, or as macro as what am I going to do in my career and what direction do I want to take? And the question is, is what's the worst case scenario? Like what's the absolute worst thing that could happen if you do that? Mm-hmm. And if that happens, are you okay with it? And if you're okay with it, go all in. If yeah. you're not with the worst case scenario, figure something else out. Right? And that was the exact thing that I did when I said, I could always get a job, right? right? I mean, I could always go get hired as a sales rep for another technology company. This is an infinite amount of them. Right. But there isn't a window when a transition's happening. And the transition was um, desktop to no- to notebooks and client-server computing, DOS to Windows, and Microsoft's emergence as a real player with NT Server, SQL Server, and Exchange Server. And you know what's interesting, John, is that exact same thing is happening now. And That's how I basically got in to building a new relationship platform that's social and cloud-based is I started to use, so I sold Goldmine when I was 29 years old. I spent 10 years raising three kids. Do you have any kids? I do. I have a daughter. She's eight. Okay. So you know how amazing that journey is and you know how precious those moments are. And you, because you travel, right? You have clients all over the world. You're not always there for those moments. And to be able to be there for moments, I think is, is what life's all about. We're here to make moments and memories, not money, because the money happens if you do life right. And so, so I spent 10 years raising a few kids. And as my kids got into school, I had time. I started to use social media and I started to use it in 2006, seven and eight, nine. I saw it was gonna change the way we work, play, buy and sell. And I started to look for a relationship manager that enabled me to integrate my contacts to social. I couldn't find it. Then I started looking at CRM systems and saw that they weren't about relationships, they're about reporting. And yeah. so CRM stands for customer relationship management. I think it stands for customer reporting management because it's not really about building relationships, it's about tracking activities against deals in order to um, for management to keep the finger on the pulse of the pipeline. Yeah. And ultimately it's relationships that drive business and business has always been social. People buy from people they like, know, and trust. So how do you earn intimacy and trust? In the old days, I said, 
Go look at somebody's walls. Look at the books they read, the degree of the school they went to, the knickknacks they collect. You do that in order to figure out what you have in common, to share that, to build intimacy and trust. Today, you do that via social. But Mm -hmm. back in 2009, people didn't know that social applied to business. They thought Facebook was a place to hook up with a high school sweetheart and LinkedIn was a place to get a job. And I saw the future. And so I decided I'm going to build a new relationship platform. It's going to be the first serum that works for you by building itself from the data you already have in your business, which is email, calendar, contact, social, and and all your business apps like QuickBooks and MailChimp. And then works with you everywhere you work because I think the biggest cause of failure of CRM is lack of use because you work for it and you have to go to it to use it. And then bad data because even if you force salespeople to use it, if they type data in the computer, it's just going to become stagnant over time. And so that's why I got back in the business. And what's interesting about all that is that we started with Gmail G Suite, with Google, because they were the only cloud email contact calendar thing that existed. Microsoft came out with Office like four or five years later. And when I saw that, I saw history repeating itself. And what that means is Microsoft doesn't iterate, they innovate. I'm sorry. They don't innovate, they iterate. They wait for someone else to build the market. And then when it's big enough, they use their muscle, which is hundreds of thousands of resellers and millions of users. And they entered the market with Office. Four years ago, we started integrating and partnering with them. Last year, they signed a reseller agreement with Nimble. They're bundling Nimble with Office 365 worldwide. They're walking us into their distributors. We've signed up 25 of the top 50 with access now to 300,000 resellers globally. And we've become the simple serum for office and the gateway to Dynamics and the Crown Jewels Azure. And I don't think I would have been able to do that if I didn't understand the past to be able to prepare for the present and win the future. I like it. So you talked about um, something a little bit earlier about the sum of all your experiences. So when the when the universe kind of shines on you, right? One of the pieces that I I say to reps that, you know, in my career, one of the things I wish I did a little bit better job of, if you will, was paying attention Hmm. in the sense that I just, I just usually had my head down and I was cranking, right? That was me. I was just, all right, let me get this job done. Let me go hit my numbers, that type of stuff. And anytime something happened within a business, like from a business standpoint, uh, yeah, whatever. Okay. You know, how does that impact me? And, And now I'm gone. But looking back on it, I really wish I had a different lens so I could look at, you know, I'll give an example of like when when the the VP or, or whoever rolls out a new comp plan, how do they roll it out? Like, and especially if it's a new comp plan that nobody likes, right? Like, why did they roll it out? Who did they, you know, what was their approach to it? You know, and how could they have maybe done it differently to get more buy-in, right? Because the experience, if you look at it from an outsider's perspective, even though you're on the inside, you can then say, okay, this sucks. My new commission plan sucks. And that's me, me, me. But if I learn about how they rolled that out, how that made the other people feel and what that did to the environment as soon as that happens, well, then when I become a leader, I know exactly what to do and what not to do in that area. So, any advice for, for reps on, on paying attention and what they should be paying attention to as they build their careers? Because I do, you know, I look at your point, you know, there's a gut factor here, but I will tell you, obviously, my gut has gotten better and better and better over the years, purely based on experience. I mean, at 42 years old right now, 
I always look at 40 as a really interesting age because in your 20s, you're always, you for the most part, in general, you're looking up for permission, right? You don't know what you don't know. So you're kind of looking at the 30-somethings, 40-somethings saying, okay, is this right? Should I be doing this? Right? In the in your 30s, you kind of, you, you yes, you, you start to figure out what you're good at, but you're still kind of sitting there saying, I, I still kind of feel like a kid a little bit. You know, I still remember my 20s. So I feel like I'm looking up a little bit. But then once you're 40, I don't know if this happened to you, but the conversations that I was having with people, like I would just have a conversation just, you know, about some topic because of whatever. And all of a sudden they would be like, wow, holy shit, that's really smart. Or, oh, really? That's a good idea. And it started to dawn on me that just out of the 22 years of experience that, you know, that, that has put me in a much better position now to make better decisions. And so do you, you know, how do you recommend reps looking at their careers, if you will, as that sum of all parts so that they can capitalize on it? You know, do you have any advice or, or thoughts around that? Well, I think, I think one of the things you have to recognize is each one of the path jobs you do, you're going to learn something. Even the shittiest place you work, yep. you're going to learn more than the places that you just excel at, right? Something that you try to do and you either fail at or the people that you're working with or for fail you in enabling you to truly grow and succeed, these are the places you're going to learn the most. And, you know, when I was working that job at, at Banyan, my, uh, my sales manager used to show me these checks that he'd make on commission, like $350,000. He'd put it in my face and go, ah, you know? And I was the SE. I was the systems engineer. And, and I don't know if you know what a systems engineer is. Yeah, does, I know. Well, yeah. But they make the effing sales happen. And they keep them stuck. They keep yeah. them happening, right? Because we're the one who actually has to go in after the sales rep kind of promises the world and actually set up the demo and integrate it to all the stuff and go find the third-party tools to glue it together and then keep it stuck. Right. And, and I said to myself, it's not just salespeople that sell. I learned from that. It's everybody in the team is participating in that journey, both pre and post sale. And it's not just prospects and customers that you need to be connecting with in order to get your sales done, because ultimately the, your prospects and customers have an influencer of some type and it might be an advisor or consultant or whoever. And so I, I, I learned different things at different jobs, and uh, especially in hiring and growing people. Because I think if you want to scale a company, you've got to get really good at picking uh, talent, picking people, and then growing those people. And this is one of the secrets that I learned back in the day in regards to growing people and hiring. Number one is, I love the Midwest. I love people from the, the Midwest. They're, 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 they're just great, right? They're yeah. solid. You, you know, you could talk about Boston and New York and LA and San Francisco and, yeah. and they're all happening. They're all great. But, you know, people in the Midwest, this is like the heart of our country. And I especially like liberal arts majors because you could teach somebody business or technology, but you can't teach them to reason, to read, write, and do research. And ultimately, life's really about listening and communicating effectively at scale. Mm -hmm. And so I'd hire people that, that were liberal arts majors, that were working in some type of customer journey, even hairdressers, and I would train them on business and technology. You could hire a liberal arts major or somebody from a Best Buy for a nominal amount compared to somebody in business and technology degree. Mm -hmm. And then when you teach them and grow them and turn them into making a hundred, $200,000 a year, you built a relationship for life. You built a culture that can eat anything. 
And these are some of the sum of things that I that I really learned. But ultimately, the key thing that I've learned that I think is most important, my northern light is this. When I was 41 years old, a year after I sold Goldmine for more money I'd ever imagined in my life, I had a head tumor and almost died. Rock on wood. That was, what, 17 years ago? Um, and through the journey of getting healed, I also went on spiritual growth part, and I came to a simple conclusion about life. We're on this planet to grow our souls by helping other people grow theirs. That's it. We're here to help other people grow. The more people you could outgrow, the more you'll grow. That's what Zig Ziglar said. And ultimately, I believe service is the new sales. Any salesperson listening to this today who wants to be successful in the future should enter into any relationship they go into with the intent to learn enough to be able to add some value to that other person, even if it means recommending somebody else's product at that moment, at that time. Because mm -hmm. ultimately, the more people you have grow, the more you will grow. And so that's my simple philosophy. And actually, it's one of the reasons why I got back into business to build uh, Nimble. Because when I get stopped on the street and people say, goldmine changed my life, I love that. We're mm -hmm. here to change people's lives. And, and ultimately, my goal is to get 50 million people around the world uh, achieving their passion, plan, and purpose in life, building their dreams with, with Nimble, because here's the deal. Your network is your net worth. Your personal brand plus your professional network will help you achieve your dreams in life, which should be serving others. Mm -hmm. And most people don't do a good job with their network. They put their network here, right? This is where your contacts are. And you basically work at some business, whether you're working in a CRM, imagine if you had your own personal CRM that you could basically build your contacts from all the disparate places and then use it inside the company's CRM or outside to prospect. And ultimately that's what Nimble has evolved into is if you have a CRM today like Salesforce or Dynamics or whatever, you could use Nimble as your personal CRM and then use it to bring your network to work with you. Because I think we're in that time where people bring their own tools. They need to bring their brain and network to work with them too. Sure. Well, I love it. I think, you know, paying attention again. And, uh, you know, I, I think that the two themes, right, are, are figuring out ways to pick your head up a little bit and look for opportunities from a bigger picture standpoint. You know, I, I tell reps all the time who are struggling in their jobs or, or looking for the next job, I'll ask them, and I've said this before on the podcast, but I'll, I just reinforce it here is, you know, I'll ask them, hey, what's your five-year plan from a lifestyle standpoint? Like, yeah. where do you, you know, forget about the job and those type of things. You don't want to be a manager here. No, literally in your life, look out five years. I think five years is a good benchmark, right? Because who knows what's going to happen after that. Uh, and where do you want to be lifestyle-wise? Is it what kind of house, car, family, those type of things do you want to be, do you want? And then from there, you can back into, okay, you know, now how much money do I need to be able to make to live that lifestyle? And therefore, how, what kind of job do I need to have to be able to make that money to live that lifestyle? And then you go searching for that and you build your model out as far as what do I need to do now to get to that next step that's going to move me toward closer to my goals and my plans? Because I always say, if you, if, you, if you do not have goals in your life, if you do not have aspirations, but co concrete things, you know what I mean? Not just like, hey, I want to be the greatest, but no, yeah. by this time, I want to be doing this. If you don't have that, then you're letting somebody else dictate the path and you're just along for the ride. Yeah. You know, whereas yeah. if you set goals, you can at least keep going. You know, you can at least have something to track yourself on. Am I making progress? Because I think that's where we go. You know, that circles back around to the beginning of this conversation, which is 
I think a lot of people just feel stuck, right? They're like stuck. You're like, I know I don't want to do this, but I, you know, I'm afraid I'm a high risk, you know, low risk tolerance. So I'm, I'm about to go. I don't want to take that next risk, but I'm not happy right now. And, and that's the big problem, John, is I think most people are floating through life. Yeah, totally. Right? And, and that's why if you pay attention, you can be so successful because it's really that easy. Yeah. And, and, and I read this book called Think and Grow Rich. You want, yep. you, want to know, you want to know about me, you know, go look at my walls, right? You go look at the different books and things that I've read. And this book right here. Yep. Got the same one. Ch- changed my life, baby, right yep. there. It's all and, goal setting, right? And it, amen. That's it, yep. right? And so I, I have the three Ps. It's called passion, plan, and purpose. You got to figure out what is your passion. Don't just start with, oh, my passion is like burning, baby, burning. <laughs> but, but, but no, really, like what is your passion? And then build a plan to achieve it. And then put that plan on your mirror, on your refrigerator. Every day you get up, say, what am I doing to get there? And make that your purpose every day. And if you do that, you're going to get someplace. Because most people in this world are knuckle draggers. They're just floating through life. They don't have a passion. They haven't built a plan. And they don't make it their purpose. And if you do that, you honestly can do anything that you want in this world. But, But here's the deal. I've had the big house. I've had the big car. It that ain't life, right? Yeah. So, so Mike the Milkman, a buddy of mine, uh, Mitch Jackson. You should bring Mitch Jackson on your on your podcast. He's a cool. he's an attorney, but he's also just a really great uh, social philosopher dude. Mitch Jackson. Anyways, his father in law was Mike the Milkman. He was a milkman, and he and he basically had these like five laws of a foundation, like a pyramid of life. And you know where it starts? Your health. Because yeah, okay. if you don't have that, right, you're done. And then after your health is your family, right? Because ultimately that's all you leave this planet with is the vibration, the moments of people that are precious to you. They're not going to put on my grave, Bill Goldmine made millions. They're going to say beloved father, husband, brother, friend, right? Mm-hmm. And then beyond that, it's, it's, it's your work, right? Because, you know, what is, that's, that's such a big part of our lives. And, and then in, in conjunction with that, your family and friends, your community, I, I'd actually say the community and your friends come before work mm-hmm. because ultimately the work just helps all the rest of that stuff happen. Sure. And, and I think that most people don't have their priorities really correctly aligned and, and it really is foundationally built by you building a plan. Mm-hmm. And you can't build a plan unless you know where you want to go. Right. And, um, yeah. And so I, I, think that, I think that having a, a purpose to your life is so critical. And yours is clearly growing people, right? You, you do that at scale every day. Yeah. And, uh, and that's why I think we read out of the same hymn book because that's what I do. I, I think we're here to help other people grow. Yeah. And I think if you're not, if you're not helping other people, it's a lonely life. 
uh, that's just in general, uh, you know, there, there's, I, I get a lot more gratitude of, of to your point, Hey, gold mine changes your life. You know, when I get that rep who took this training two or three years ago and then comes up to me and says, Hey John, I know you probably don't remember me, but you know, that training changed my perspective. It got me on a different track and now I'm a VP and now I'm a manager, whatever it is. And I really attribute a lot to what I've learned in your session that mm-hmm. makes all the travel, all the airports sleeping in, you know, shitty ass hotels and, you know, driving around all over the place. That's what makes it worth it. Um, and if that doesn't drive you, um, I, I don't know what you're doing. All right. I mean, those, those are the type of things that sound, and, and I think it comes into translation with a kid, right? Because your, your view on life changes drastically when you have children, because it's an immediate realization. It's no longer about you. It's a hundred percent about somebody else. And so it almost, it's a forcing function for you to say, to change your lens. And I think that's where a lot of people do change their lens to say, you know, it was all about me for the first 30 years of my life. And then I had a kid and I realized it wasn't. So I'm going to have to shift things up and my goals change a little bit at that point. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and ultimately we're talking to salespeople today, right? Yep. I think today sales is a four letter word that uh, for many people, they look down on the profession And as a professional salesperson that's been doing this job for a long, long time, I think it is an amazing service. You're helping people achieve their things, Mm -hmm. right? And so you're actually not a bag them and tag them door-to-door, full of brush salesperson. You're somebody who's actually helping people fulfill their dreams. And so I think it's an amazing profession and done right can bring you infinite riches. and uh, But ultimately, I think you need techniques and tools sure. to do it properly, right? And, uh, and I think if you think about what CRM is, it's really a, a database for managing process and prospects. And, um, and I think that most of the deals you put in a pipeline start with a relationship. It starts with you building trust and intimacy, getting somebody opened up to you about their business issues, which as a professional, you can then solve. Once you've done that, then you put it in the pipeline. Right. And so I think that if you're listening to this today, that sales is about relationships, that we're going through a renaissance in relationships where it's getting more important for you to be able to build your brand, your network and relationships at scale. In order to do that today, I just think it takes too many tools, right. including Raintree, Discover Org, LinkedIn Sales Navigator, Inside View, Outreach, Sales Loft, Tout App, Yesware, you know, you name it, all these different tools you got to buy in addition to your CRM. And I think it's too many tools, it's too much complexity. And that for the 99% of us, that we need something more, say, nimble. Mm-hmm. What I'd love to do is I'd love to offer anyone listening to this today, a, um, a coupon where they can get nimble for 40% off because I think that you need your own personal CRM that you could bring around with you and use it in whatever tool you have to use that at work because every day the people listening to this, John, are meeting amazing people and they just let them slip through their fingers yeah. instead of putting them in their own personal golden Rolodex and building their brand and their network because you're not going to work wherever you work in one to five years, the average is three. Right. And so they're gonna hire you tomorrow on your brand and your network, and you need to be working on that. It takes work in order to make that happen. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you a little history here. 
Um, this is a um, uh, a card that used to go inside of a PC. This is called a. It's a roll. It's a Rex. It's a Rolodex. Yep. It, it's a PCMCAA card, and it basically uh, used to go inside of a computer for synchronization. And so I've, I've actually got some historical things on my uh, on my uh, desk here. Uh, this is the, one of the original um, contact managers called a Wizard Sharp, nice. and and basically that's how people used to manage their contacts. This was before the uh, the smartphone, and uh, you know today we're lucky to have tools like this mm-hmm. to, to manage them. But I think that today we're, we're still lacking the right tools and the right techniques. And that's why we have people like you to, uh, to teach and preach to help grow people. Cool, man. Well, I appreciate it. We're going to wrap this up. Um, how can people find more about Nimble and what's that code that uh, you were talking about as far as an offer is concerned? And those so just go to nimble.com and yep. you can you know, learn more about Nimble. If you want to learn about me, Google me. John, J-O-N, Ferrara, F-E-R-R-A-R-A. You'll find my identity across the first page. And today, you should Google yourself. If you don't land with eight uh, links on that first page, you're doing something wrong today because your customers, your prospects, and their influencers are going to Google you. And when you do Google me, reach out to me, connect with me, tell me about who you are and how I might be able to help you grow. And if you do sign up for Nimble at nimble.com, the code is J-O-N-40. That's 40% off your first three months. Awesome, John. Well, I really appreciate it. And uh, keep up the great work with that, uh, you know, the, the giver's gain mentality, right? Keeping always trying to make a difference in somebody's life, right? And, and that's what I ask a lot of my, every time I finish up the podcast is just go make somebody smile. You know, there's too much negativity out there in the world right now. You know, go go do something for somebody that, that, that without, without any expectation of them returning the favor, and, all right? And that means if you're at a grocery store checking out, don't do this. Right, Actually, right. put your shit down and talk to the person in front of you. The you should give a gift to anybody you meet, and the best gift to give them that's free to you is your is your attention and a smile. There you go. All right, Joe. Thanks so much for coming on board, and everybody make it a great week. All right. Thank you all very much. Make it happen. Later. Adios.